They're not pure in God's eyes because they're not washed yet from their filthiness. And so when you say it's an important thing, that's only important in your mind. It's not important in God's mind or God would have addressed it specifically in the Bible. Every man foolishly assumes that his neighbor is stupid until his neighbor confronts him and shows him who actually is stupid. Look at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 17. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 17. This is what happens when we start to think that our ideas are important. 18.17 He that is first in his own cause seemeth just. The man who speaks up first and says, This is the way it ought to be. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. His neighbor asks him a few questions and finds out the guy doesn't have a leg to stand on and doesn't even know what he's talking about. And this is a warning from the book of Proverbs that we want to be very careful about saying, but what about important things? As if your opinions are only on important things and your choices of liberty are important distinctions. Look at verse 13 of the same chapter. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. That's why I'm using the word stupidity for you to understand what Solomon is saying to us. When you answer a matter before you hear it, it's folly and shame unto him. Don't think that you're, you've got the important position to hold. The other man who's holding an opposite position might be better than yours. So hear him out. Look at chapter 28 and verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. Don't think too highly of your ideas, even if you're a successful person, because a poor man with understanding can come and figure you out that you do not have a clue. So let's not answer when we're thinking about things of liberty, but what about important things? If it was important, it'd be in the Bible. The Bible's a closed system. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which has already been read to you and explained to you today, says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. So how many good things are left out? How many additions do we need to make to the Word of God? None. Because what is written is sufficient to make the man of God perfect. Is that almost perfect? Is that halfway there as long as we would adopt some of the rules of the fundamentalists? No. The Bible's a closed system. And if God hasn't mentioned what you're worried about, it's because you shouldn't be worried about it. It's not worth thinking about. The only way a thing can be a law is to prove that God clearly addressed it in the Bible. We love Psalm 119 and verse 128. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts, I esteem all thy precepts to be right. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But for us to grow up and be the best Christians, we repudiate everything that we think about and say, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. Everything contrary to God's way is a false way. And so if you're dealing outside the Bible and you're calling something important, you are wrong. Number three, but what about dangerous things? Here we go again. What you assume is dangerous may not be so to a person with smarts or stones. For those of you that know your Bibles. What about dangerous things? 
Danger is most often in the eye of the beholder, which proves nothing but their narrow vision. Because some matters of liberty, like I've mentioned skydiving in the sermon earlier today, skydiving, there would be some that would think that it is so dangerous and they're so frightened by the prospect of jumping out of a moving plane at 12,000 feet that they would say that person is tempting God. And so they actually think there's sin involved. Or, if they don't think there's sin involved, they would despise the person for taking such unnecessary risks. But you didn't have to go up and jump out of the plane. You know, we have men in the military that are paratroopers and they jump out of planes because they have to, but you went up when you didn't have to, and so they despise others. Sometimes there's an issue of sin involved. Sometimes there's an issue of despising someone else because they do something different than you. Do you know where the word despised came from that I'm using right now? It's Romans chapter 14, the first three verses, where it puts the matters of liberty this way. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. God's received both both sides, so we don't want to judge that they're wrong, that they're foolish. We don't want to despise them, that they do something that we don't truly understand because they've added an element of danger to do something pleasant in their lives. Danger is a function of a person's ability or experience. So stop your sheltered thinking. Danger is often a result of a timid or weak personality. Bold and strong people see it differently. You are not the end-all answering machine for what is dangerous and what isn't. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But God's pondering the hearts. And if someone gets a thrill out of seeing God's creation with a bird's eye view... On their way back to earth, let them enjoy it that way. They can give God thanks while they're coming down, and I'll give God thanks while I'm already down. Danger is often the result of spending too much time, thoughts, or research to criticize something that someone else does that you don't do. Danger progressively becomes a function of your age. So let the young have their pleasures. Listen, stepladders frighten us now. Let's not go too far yet. But eventually, a stepladder will frighten us. Because the Lord makes so many differences. And you know, does He address that in the Bible anywhere? Does Ecclesiastes chapter 12 plainly discuss the fact that we are going to not like heights? It's part of the aging process of the evil days. Not the golden years, as they are called by some, but the evil days that are coming. Danger is falsely assumed by reporting. Because our news reporters and newspapers only report danger and death. They never report safety and success. Do you understand that? Are you wise enough when you read that they're only pulling out isolated statistical anomalies that someone died skydiving? You know the one that died last year? Even though there are millions that skydive in a year's time, one died? How many times have you grabbed a newspaper and found an article or you went to the Drudge Report and found a news article there that said 175,419 skydived yesterday and no one was hurt? That isn't the way that newspapers report. So you've got to learn to think a little bit. They're only pointing out the bad events. But that's all you hear? Anybody that's... It must be about one out of three that skydive and end up splatting on the earth. God doesn't care about these things. Or you know what? He would start warning us about travel. 
Do you know when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I find out that the Apostle Paul was in a lot of trouble by traveling. He was in perils of robbers. He was in perils of beasts. He was in perils of coal. On and on. Why doesn't the Bible warn us that since you're not an apostle, don't subject yourself to such dangers? We just had read to us part of Psalm 107. If Jerry had gone on to read the next verse, the next five to ten verses dealt with those who go and make their business in ships. Oh, and it describes a ship at sea. But I doubt if there's very many ships that were as bad as the one Luke was on and Paul was on in Acts chapter 27. That is a long chapter given to a storm at sea where they didn't see the sun for 14 days. On the third day, they threw out all the ship's tackling. How do you direct a ship when you've thrown its tackling overboard because you don't want that weight on? They threw their food overboard. Luke, of lesser faith than Paul, gave up. Luke said, all hope was gone. Out of mine would have left in about day two. Don't you say anything, guys, that have sailed with me. And I just had a brother raise his finger. And it looked like this. Maybe the first day. We have been on a terrible sailing expedition, some of us. It wasn't anything like Luke and Paul. But it's in the Bible. The, why, Acts 27 is almost entirely dedicated to the danger that was facing Luke and Paul on the ship making its way from Caesarea to Rome. To avoid tempting God, do not jump 70 stories without a parachute. Okay? This is how we handle this danger thing. Because people say, well, what about dangerous things? What sex is it that usually says that? Feet, well, I better not say that in this church. I heard that one of our senior citizens ever heard me preaching about skydiving in the first service and interjected in another facility where this sermon is being broadcast and said, I want to do that. And it was a mother, a grandmother in the church. She's more of a man than I am. Okay, where do I get to 70 stories and jumping without a parachute or a bungee cord? The Lord Jesus Christ taken to the pinnacle of the royal portico of Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, down to the bottom of the brook Kydron was 700 feet. And Satan quoted Psalm 91 correctly, and Jesus wasn't going to jump, and that's something you shouldn't do. Jesus could get down some other way, and he wasn't going to tempt the Lord as God by doing something that was certain death. So my advice to you from the Word of God is don't jump 70 stories without a parachute or bungee cord. Was Jesse a bad father? Was Jesse in the Bible a bad father? How many verses do we have written against Jesse for leaving his 15-year-old son out there not to fight off deranged poodles, but to fight off lions and bears? They didn't even know where he was. You say, he was a negligent father. Well, what about Jacob then? Why did Jacob send his 17-year-old son on an 80-mile by foot by himself journey across Canaan to check on 10 brothers that hated him? Was Jacob a bad father? Every single parent in here has done something worse than Jacob or Jesse. And do you know what it is? You took your children to the DMV and they got their license, and you handed them a set of keys. What about dangerous things? Just be consistent. 
What are you thinking about? Will a few examples help you get over a lockdown of the church where we can't do anything? You think motorcycles are a liberty? They are. If you don't like them, you can drive a reinforced Hummer. It's your choice. You know, but can can a person that likes motorcycles ride a motorcycle to the Lord and give God thanks for it? It is a wonderful way to travel. If you haven't done it, you don't know. You say, I just can't imagine being out there and bugs hitting my visor. Well, you don't have to wear a visor in South Carolina. The bugs can hit your teeth. (laughs) You know, all these opinions that we get, and I'm not saying anybody considers a motorcycle an issue of sin, but there would be people in a congregation that would think that it might be tempting God because motorcycles are more dangerous than cars. How much more dangerous than cars? If anybody that reads the updates, 27.5 times. But that factors in a lot of things like driving at night, driving drunk, driving on drugs, driving crotch rockets, instead of being older, daytime, sensible, sober, and being careful. Do you think skydiving? You know, where you probably dislike stepladders. Do you think buying organic food at Whole Foods prolongs life? Do you really think that? Please let the rest of the congregation die happy at 70. There's nothing in the Bible about a whole foods diet. There's nothing in the Bible about diet like that. Nothing. There's nothing in the Bible about extending your life by diet. Do you know how you can extend your life? Eat chips and dip and honor your parents. Because honoring your parents is what extends life according to the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. What parents wait until their children turn 25 to drive when insurance companies tell us that's when they should drive? Because the big fall off in rates that takes place at 25, it doesn't take place at 18, you poor 16-year-olds that are suffering under the wrath of your pastor right now, and it doesn't change at 20, and it doesn't change at 21. It's 25. And just for good measure, I suggest 30. Because then you're an adult, according to the Bible. Are any appalled that some mothers have their babies at home? Just think of all the things that could happen. All those things can happen every day. I'm scared when I eat a piece of salmon. There's more people that die from fish bones by far than die from skydiving. Let's get real about danger. But you know, what about dangerous things? You say, you're making us all laugh. I hope this whole thing is laughter because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we love each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to hold up the head of our church and love each other no matter whether babies are born at home or not. I just want to ask some little woman that's fussing about babies being born at home, where was your granny born? And her mommy? And her mommy? And her mommy? And her mommy? Back to Mrs. Noah. Do you despise the family whose son broke his collarbone scoring a touchdown? Go Joshua. (laughs) Do you think adding a blower to a car is a dangerous waste? That's a turbocharger that forces more air and gas mixture into the cylinders so that you can get another 50 to 100 horsepower out of an engine. Do you think that's a waste of money and time to put a blower under the hood for somebody that likes cars? You miss life. You say, but where can you drive as fast as you could go with an extra 50 or 100 horsepower? It's not that you have to drive all that fast. It's just how you go from 0 to 45. (laughs) There's just, does that bother, does it bother anyone? You know, 
I don't care about it as much as I used to. I'm thankful, thankfully, Lord, for making me go in the way of your commandments. But uh, there, there's pleasures. And we should just embrace each other and love each other. Some people enjoy that. I enjoy it. Should we stop eating red meat? It's dangerous, they tell me on the internet. Should we stop drinking coffee? It's dangerous. Scuba diving. Working on an oil rig or chewing gum while playing basketball. If you can stay in bed and do everything God expects you to do, we'll defend your liberty. Go for it. But you're going to have to get out and do a few things because God does expect you to do some things. So I hear the objection, but what about dangerous things? And I want to say again, the most dangerous thing we do is let teenagers drive. Oh boy. Lord, continue to protect us. He knows that. We know that as parents. And the Lord knows that. And we put our children out there with a set of keys in a moving vehicle that's a deadly weapon. It's a weapon of mass destruction almost. And it's not, that's not funny. You know, I have said this before and I'll say it again. I'll say it anytime anybody needs to hear it. And I'll be glad to tell your teenagers. If you drive foolishly and kill yourself, I will put up the money to bury you because we'll be rid of one more fool in the world and the world will be a better place. But if you go out and kill someone else, how in the world will we ever undo that horrible event? When we put those children out there as 16-year-old teenagers with a moving vehicle at 45, 60 miles an hour, passing other vehicles at 45 or 60 miles an hour, where we have a combined speed of 120 miles an hour, if there's a little bit of veering because someone's talking on a cell phone or trying to send a text to their friend that they just had lunch, somebody could die so easily. And that's a risk we all take. So why do you come to me and say, why would anyone come to me and say, but what about dangerous things? Because you've already made your choice that you're going to allow a great degree of danger in your family. And everyone does it. And we trust the Lord, don't we? It makes us nervous, and the older we get, the more nervous we are. Then it becomes grandchildren instead of children that you wonder about. And you think about as they leave the property and you hear that they're driving. But what about deadly things? Life is deadly. Some argue that if a thing causes death once in a while, it is tempting the Lord and therefore sin. If that argument's right, we need to prohibit a million things. Adam and Zach, you should not go to work tomorrow. We can find something better for you to do, like sitting at a desk and pushing papers. We need to prohibit a million things, like cars, like hunting, like childbirth. Could die. Rachel did. Jumping off a 700-foot pinnacle of the temple is deadly, but riding a motorcycle is not nearly so. Reports daily that we have to read and see bring up new causes of cancer and heart disease, cars with weak fuel tanks, as if, you, if you're owning that vehicle, the slightest fender bender from the back, and your car is going to blow up. They're constantly wanting to sensationalize danger, and there are people that actually listen to that stuff and actually believe it. It's, a, it's amazing how small their minds are. They've never taken a class on statistics and probability and real research techniques where they would find out that that's impossible to happen. But I saw the pictures of one. I saw the pictures of one. Yes, that was a semi doing 85 miles an hour, and the car was stopped. There was a tendency for the gas to explode. 
What about deadly things? Do you ever read about the people that were not struck by lightning? You never read about them. Somebody will read that somebody got struck by lightning and think that it's dangerous to be outside when it's lightning. Why didn't anybody ever hear about that 50 years ago? We live in an effeminate generation. I've known farmers that have been struck by lightning several times and are still talking about it as one of the more enlightening events in their lives. <laughs> Lee Morrison. Airlines with bad records. Why do they want to publish that stuff? You know, those airlines are regulated. The difference between one airline and another airline is so statistically insignificant that there's no one in here hardly except a couple of people that are even capable of mathematically defining the difference. And yet they'll tell you that there's a difference between airlines. And so there's this fear about death. Flash mobs in malls. Have you read about flash mobs in malls? Are you staying away from malls now because there might be a flash mob at the Haywood Mall? How about tornadoes? You afraid of tornadoes? Do they ever tell you how many people don't die from tornadoes? You say, well, I heard about some people that died from a tornado. Yeah, and they die from chicken bones. And when was the last time you served chicken? Probably everybody has served chicken in the last 72 hours. Do you know how many people die from chicken bones? Far more than die from tornadoes. But I get this thrown at me all the time. What about deadly things? Okay, you're wondering where I'm going. I'll, I'll take you someplace. For example, there is a movement by fanatics in this country right now that say birth control pills should not be used by Christians because birth control pills once in a while cause an abortion. So now what are you going to tell me? Is this a matter of Christian liberty or not to use birth control pills? When the first level of defense is to stop ovulation, the second level of defense is to stop contraception, the third level of defense is to stop implementation. These little people get out there and get themselves on a crusade that the measure of a true Christian is never using birth control pills. They're hypocrites because they'll justify other risks that their children take that are very severe and very quantifiable and that do not ha that have a limited intent of protection like we do when we're talking about birth control pills. This is one of the more difficult matters of liberty that I'm going to bring you. So I'm going to the end, even though I'm not done. If we pick any one of deadly liberties and condemn it, you better condemn the rest as well. Because I'm going to be coming after you with the list. The use of birth control pills involving the liberty of birth control in general, which I preached on a few months ago in a Wednesday evening service with a slide presentation called Family Planning that you're able to look at online, also involves the liberty of trusting their intended purpose by God's providence, just as we do every other deadly liberty. Right, right. We do the same thing with them. No one in this church has debated me on this subject. A couple of them over the last 10 years have written me about this subject, but I have debated others about it. And when you go read the arguments and when you go read the doctors that are lined up on both sides of it, I couldn't care less. Ignorance is bliss. Couldn't care less. I know that when I hand my teenager a set of keys and he goes out there that I have a high probability of there being an accident. And I have a probability of them being killed, but worse than that is the probability of someone else being killed. And so once you start down this line of saying, well, I just think that one's too deadly, pretty soon we'll be at skydiving and stepladders. If you're over 70, you shouldn't use a stepladder because you could fall and break your hip. 
And if you break your hip, the chances of recovery are very low. And so we go down this path. If there is something known that's going to cause death, then we don't do it. We don't jump off a 70-story building without a bungee cord or a parachute. We don't drive at night with our lights off. We don't do foolish things. We don't play Russian roulette with handguns. The principle of intent in the Bible accepts the intent of birth control pills to hinder or eliminate ovulation or conception. The principle of mercy in the Bible looks to the easiest solution, even if there's contradictory or questionable evidence. Your unlearned research about this matter, and I'm speaking to anyone here or anywhere else, your unlearned research to find percentages or probabilities yourself, or your selective research of articles supporting you, is something we are told to avoid for our consciences. All I have to know is what the first line of intent of a birth control pill is, what the second line of intent of a birth control pill is, and the third line I don't care about. Don't care about any more than I handing keys to a teenager to drive a deadly vehicle. Don't care. Don't look into it. Don't worry about it. I know that there are whole groups of doctors lined up on both sides of it. Let them fight it out. Listen, if you don't believe in birth control pills and you don't want your family to be, believe in birth control pills, that's your liberty and I'll defend you, but you're not going to sow that kind of junk in this church. You say, but there's people that are well reputed. I don't care. The Pharisees were well reputed. That's why the apostles came to Jesus and said, do you know that you just offended the Pharisees? He didn't care. Ignorance is bliss. If we are going to get down to a game of statistical analysis of the probability of death in matters where the intention is not death at all and where the intention is not ovulation, the intention is not conception, then we're going to have Crosby's Manual of Statistical Probabilities in addition to Crosby's Manual of Modesty and in addition to Crosby's Manual of Things That Are Dangerous in addition to Crosby's Manual of Television Programming that is acceptable and that is not acceptable. Now, some of you may not even know about what I'm talking about, but it is a hot issue among conservative Christians because they're always looking for something to start a crusade over. Because the crusade is far more important to them than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing in the Bible about assuming or not assuming danger and deadly things. That's why there's nothing in the Bible about driving. There's nothing in the Bible about when you ride a horse, make sure that it's a gentle gelding. There's nothing like that in the Bible. If you are moved by your research, we will defend your liberty. But we're not going to defend you to doubtful disputations about it. If you are convicted by the research, we'll allow your hypocrisy because you are a hypocrite of the highest order. If you worry about that one and you don't worry about the other ones, be consistent. I am being consistent. There are risks everywhere. Do you know what the risk of eating sugar is? And some of you people that will fuss about birth control pills will make things out of sugar. I don't care if it's honey. Honey's just as dangerous as sugar. The amount that's been consumed in this country of those processed and simplified carbohydrates, you know, you're the one that, you're the one that wants to set a 12 ounce glass of orange juice in front of your child every morning, thinking that drinking orange juice is good for their health. Why don't you read a little bit about the nutritional contribution of orange juice to anyone's health? It's deadly. It's part of the carbohydrate addiction of our country. Just be consistent. 
But we're not going to have your consistency discussed in the church, and we're not going to have your doubtful disputations. And I'm speaking to many people that are not here this morning as well. If you try to divide between God's providence and our tempting in one matter of deadly liberty, be careful, for we rely on God's providence to protect us and many other liberties as well. You know, today, if I wanted to prove to you the way that you're trying to prove to me that birth control pills cause abortions, I can prove to you that red meat kills. I can prove to you that red meat causes cancer. I can prove to you that fluoridated water steals your brain. I can prove to you that alcohol eats brain cells. We can go on and on with this kind of reasoning, and we don't do it. We do not jump off of 70-story buildings without a bungee cord or a parachute. But when there are marginal differences in things that are not intended to cause death, like a car is not intended to cause death, and a 16-year-old driving himself to school or work is not intended to cause death, we trust it there and we trust God's providence. And when birth control pills are intended to stop ovulation, hinder ovulation, stop conception, hinder conception, long before they get to hindering implementation, we trust that, just like we trust the cars. I do. If you want to hold an opposite position, you may hold it in private. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself. Children driving at 16 is by far the most dangerous thing we do for their lives and for other people that are traveling on the roads with them. Brethren, should we wait until 21 to be safe? Should we wait until 30 to be safe? Should we require them to use Amish buggies? That's worse. You ought to see the pic. Go online and look for Amish buggy accidents. It's ugly. You know, when a semi hits an Amish buggy at 85, there isn't an explosion of the gas tank. Should we give them Grandpa's mule? You know, Grandpa got to work on a mule. What about deadly things? Are we living in a nation of diabetics right now? Adult-onset diabetics caused by diet. Are we? We are. Should that go into the Crosby manual or the pastor's manual of deadly things? That you shouldn't drink orange juice for breakfast? And then pour white Kool-Aid over your processed cornflakes that have been soaked in sugar themselves? Do you know what? And then you have your donut? Good child. You got your starches today. Yes, eight different ways, Mommy. And then your pancake covered with brown sugar and maple syrup. Oh, yes. Where did it all come from? You know, once we start down that road, you know, and some of these, you know, your pastor is up here sweating because I have debated these things with people that are rabid animals because they will get on a crusade and they put their blinders on because that is their crusade. For some reason, that highly improbable event by using devices that are have no intention of killing That is more important than all these other things that kill as well. We want to be consistent, and we want to love and embrace each other. And brethren, whatever form of birth control you use, you don't need to be telling the rest of the church. And for those of you that are that think that it's too dangerous or too risky, or the articles that you've read say to you something different than I've presented to you today, so be it. Hate them. Go once a month and buy yourself a set and just take them home and smash them with a hammer. Get it out of your system. Well, let's not have it here in the church. Because once we start down that road, you take my position, I'll take your position, and I'll have a few questions for you. But what about blessed things? 
Some argue that if a thing is good or blessed by God, then it must be an absolute commandment. A popular application of this confusion condemns birth control, since children are a blessing. If the fruit of the womb is His reward, we should seek as many rewards as possible, right? Sounds good. Not to a man that's 56 years old and has had seven children, but it sounds good to younger people and to older people. And it sounds good to sterilized people. You know, the only ones that have ever debated birth control with me are the young that don't know better, the old that didn't have hardly any children, and sterilized people. Honestly. If you were to give me a little bit of time, I could sit down and give you a list of them and tell you about the conditions they're in. Because I'll tell you, a 40 to a 60-year-old that is struggling to keep, to make ends meet and to train his children in the fear of the Lord has a different attitude than a 20-year-old like Jonathan Crosby that was going to have 15 children. Or some older person that's an empty nester because they're sitting at home doing this most of the time. And so they're thinking, well, I could have had more. You know, I know we're in our 70s, but you know, if we had a few teenagers running around, it might be, oh, it wouldn't be good for you. Um, the Lord's given us some wisdom. And I, I spent a whole, a great deal of time on a Wednesday evening trying to protect you from that absurdity. You know, I believe that you should get your quiver as full of children as John the Baptist did. I believe you should get your quiver as full as Anna did. As full as Jesus did. As full as Paul did. I am reasoning with you out of the Scriptures. Did Paul say it was better to have children or better to be like him? Just give me an answer. Was he talking to other apostles? Was 1 Corinthians chapter 7 written to other apostles or was it written to normal church members? I hate having to do this. If you want to have all the children that your wife can conceive, you better do it as unto the Lord with wisdom because we're not going to help you when you have more children than you can provide for. And God has nowhere in the Bible told you, toward anyone, that he is going to provide for too many children. Just like he hasn't said that if a woman keeps giving birth every 15 months, that he's going to keep her insides in after baby number eight. Because you have enough and your wife's insides are going to fall out. God hasn't guaranteed your wife's insides to stay inside because you think you're going for another reward. You don't know what children are yet. The only children that are worth putting in your quiver are children that fear God and love His commandments and love the Lord Jesus Christ and they take an enormous amount of work. A simple rule of reasoning is to apply an argument consistently to other matters to test its validity. So the argument is, since the fruit of the womb is his reward, we should seek as many rewards as possible. Since childbirth is a blessing, let's just go for it. Let's not waste a single ovulation. Well, wine's a blessing from God. Does the Bible say that wine's a blessing from God? Do we force it on anyone? Now remember what I'm talking about. If you want to have a lot of children, go ahead and have a lot of children. But you're going to reach some point where you can't take care of them right and you can't train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because there's going to be too many of them in our sick society. It's a lot harder to do that today than if we had 160 acres and we were out in the country. And the worst thing they saw every day was the back end of a mule. 
Wine's a blessing from God, but we force it on no one. Rain is God's blessing, but we use umbrellas, eaves, gutters, wipers, levees, dams, and every kind of thing that you can think of to avoid that blessing. Right. Am, am I hard to understand? I, I, I just want to be plain. Am I thankful I had seven children? Depends on the day you ask me. And every parent in here knows what I'm talking about. Do I wish I'd had ten? There's fewer of those days than my seven. Sunshine is a blessing. Brethren, be honest. Does the Bible say sunshine's a blessing? Amen. Why do you wear sunscreen? Why do you wear sunglasses? Why do you have your, tin- we- your windows tinted if it's a blessing? Burn yourself out, folks. Come on. It's a blessing. Just go lay out there and stare at it. It's a blessing. It's such a blessing. Why do you plant shade trees? Marriage is a great blessing. The greatest blessing God ever gave to men on earth. Marriage is a great blessing, but wise men forego it for a greater blessing. If wise men know to forego marriage for a greater blessing of being able to serve God unhindered, then we should never imply or require marriage from anyone in our church. If they have the gift of God to be a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake, then more power to them. And the emphasis is on them. Because not everyone has that gift from God like Jesus told his apostles. Remember, not marrying is the strictest form of birth control. All the seed of John the Baptist and the apostle Paul was wasted. You going to tell me that? All the eggs of Anna was wasted? You going to tell me that? Who chose the better life? John, Anna, and Paul. So if they practiced absolute form of birth control, and I've been over all this before, but I'm answering it right now. What about blessed things? Well, blessed things, too much of them are no longer a blessing. They become a burden. A burden to a wife's body. A burden to a husband's earning power. A burden to a husband's investing and training opportunities and ability. Do changes in society ever dictate how we look at God's blessings? Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 26 says that it is good for this present distress. There was a present distress in the city of Corinth that caused Paul to say things that were not the ordinary rule for Christians, and that was to forego marriage because of societal changes, because the persecution that would come, it would be easier to run as an individual rather than a family. And we have had societal changes in our country. It is much harder to raise children in my lifetime, in my lifetime, Do you know what I had to do to communicate with a girl when I was a teenager? There was one phone. And it was in my dad's office. Until he added one later. And he shouldn't have added that one. And he knows it. He and I are looking at each other. And I'm sorry, Dad. I know. I know. A problem child. Two phones was one too many. It's much harder today. What about blessed things? 
Well, I'm thankful that the Bible gives us so many illustrations of blessings no longer being blessings when they're taken too many at a time. I love every single one in here. Listen, if you want to have, if you want to push the edge of the envelope on having extra children, then then I'll defend you. But I'm going to warn you, as you get to the point of no return, I'm going to tell you what it's like to have to train children and how much of a burden they become on your soul when they just don't line up with uh, slicked down hair and put the clothes on that you tell them to and line up in your pew. It's a totally different. It's a totally different thing. And every day that you get older, because you can't feel it right now, because your stones are still strong. But every day that you get older, the fire is going to go out of you and the ability to manage them at an older age when they are reaching testosterone-filled 19 years of age is going to be much harder. And you're just not wise to think that because it says that a man who has his quiver full of them, I just ought to have as many as I can. I've said all this before. Childbirth can be a blessing. But it's Rome that condemns birth control. And it's a liberty. Conception is not strictly an act of God. He's told us how it happens and he's taught us about ovulation. Do you know that God's taught us how to raise grains, how to process grains, and how to turn grains into bread in Isaiah chapter 28? And women have always known when they ovulated and they understand ovulation. They've always understood that because it is not a willy-nilly event by God. It's on a calendar. There's no obligation to have children. If there's an obligation to have children, then I want you to tell me that the man who came to fulfill all righteousness had none. What do you want to say against him? Are there dangers and liberties? Yes. If we take dangers too far, if we take liberties too far, they can become a sin. And so we want to be careful in every single one of these things that we don't take them too far. That's enough for today. I want to turn you back to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Every single one of us are going to have our toes stepped on. Every single one of us are going to have a little slap in the face from the Word of God as to who is weak and who should be wise. I've admitted to you one, and I'm not, you know, I have others in the list that's going to be coming. I just want to be consistent in all of them. And I trust the Lord to give us wisdom. And if you think I'm foolish, then pray for God to give me wisdom. That's what you should be praying for your pastor. We, we live in a generation where there are so many more possibilities of marginal type sinning that we need God's wisdom and God's protection and God's providential guidance in things. I just want to give you why, what to me is just the crowning jewel. I've said it so many times now, but I don't ever want you to forget the importance of Christian liberty and the 30 verses that begin with Romans 14.1 and end at Romans 15.7, those 30 verses end this way with three verses, verses 5 through 7. And this is why it's important to me. Because I want to do everything according to Christ Jesus, and I want us to glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I want us to receive one another, even as Jesus Christ received all of us. The Jew, the Lord Jesus Christ, the minister of the circumcision has received us, Gentiles. It's a tremendous blessing, and I want all of us to receive each other and to love each other, even if there may be differences among us. I trust that you'll practice Romans 14, 22, and you'll keep your faith to yourself. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. God wants us to be happy. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, skydiving motorcycles or birth control pills. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Ghost. 
That is righteousness with plain precepts in the Word of God. That is peace among church members by receiving each other, and it's joy by us being happy with each other so that when we come before the Lord and and glorify Him, He accepts our worship. Verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. The purpose of preaching on Christian liberty is not nearly so much to give you freedom to do something that you haven't been doing. It is so much more for you to give others freedom for the things they've been doing so that we can embrace each other and love each other in a united, peaceful, happy church. May God bless the preaching of His Word.